Welcome to Category Visionaries, the show dedicated to exploring exciting visions for the future from the founders who are on the front lines building it. In each episode, we'll speak with a visionary founder who's building a new category or reimagining an existing one. We'll learn about the problem they solve, how their technology works, and unpack their vision for the future. I'm your host, Brett Stapper, CEO of Frontlines Media. Now let's dive right into today's episode. Hey, founders, and thanks for listening. Today, I'm speaking with Sandeep Ravande, CEO and co-founder of Innovaptive, the connected worker platform that's raised $42 million in funding. Sandeep, thanks for chatting with me today. Thank you, Brett, and thanks for having me on your show. Not a problem. Super excited for our conversation. To kick things off, can we just start with a quick summary of who you are and a bit more about your background? Sure. My name is uh, Sandeep Ravande, founder and CEO of Innovaptive. Prior to founding Innovaptive, I've spent about 12 years doing management consulting with companies like IBM, Accenture, SAP, and so on. And it's those years of experience where I got exposed to, you know, handling large Fortune 500 customers and how they handle business operations, specifically in their plants, and got exposure to uh, the uh, systematic disconnect that we see between how people work in the field or in the plant versus how they work in the back office and the opportunity to transform how they work and impact the productivity of these workers, but then more importantly, improve the uptime of these workers. So my experience predominantly has been management consulting and then last 10 years at, you know, building out uh, this connected worker platform to serve the frontline workers in the plant. When you were working in management consulting, did you have this master plan that someday I'm going to go launch a company or where did that decision and that drive come from? Great question, uh, Brett. There was no master plan. Is actually, I think, the problem and the passion for solving the problem that lures you into founding a company. And my passion uh, lied in actually digitally transforming our customers and driving business value for them. And in those years when I was with IBM and Accenture and so on, predominantly we were selling back office transformation solutions. But then I, you know, with the work that I did, I happened to always get the opportunity to interact with people in the plant and how they operate. And I saw a systematic execution gap where people were running around with papers and binders and walkie talkies. And here we are, these Fortune 500 companies are investing 30, 40 million dollars on a large transformation project, predominantly to serve the data that the back office people need, but completely left behind the people in the front line and how they would actually get that data into these systems in a systematic way was appalling, quite frankly. And that led to the vision and the passion to actually go pursue to to solve this problem. And that's really where, you know, I decided to actually explore that internally with IBM. It didn't go anywhere because there were like 450,000 plus employees and your voice was not heard. And I decided to just quit one fine day to go tackle this problem for, you know, the three key user personas that our platform serves is the people that work in the operations, the operators that are running the machines day in, day out, the people that work in maintenance, fixing these machines and making sure that the machines are up and running to drive the production goals that they have. And then the people that are working in the storerooms or in supply chain to make sure that the parts are available at the right time and at the right place. And I saw that all three of them were disconnected between each other and were also disconnected with the back office as well. And it was a problem worth solving. Can you give us an idea of the types of companies you work with? Sure. Today, Innovaptive serves uh, some of the world's largest Fortune 500 customers spread across oil and gas, mining and metals, chemicals, utilities, and manufacturing. Those are our typical industry verticals. 
So if you look at from a mining perspective, some of our customers would be someone like a Rio Tinto or a Newmont Mining. Or if you go to the oil and gas space, it would be someone like a Shell. So we're talking about mostly industry leaders that are you know, working within Avaptive today to drive this transformation of their frontline workers that have traditionally been underserved for years. And how do you close that execution gap between the frontline to the back office is why these customers uh, want to work within Avaptive. What's a typical sales cycle like selling to those big, large enterprises? It's like any other large enterprise sales cycle, anywhere between six to eight months. But I think the reward at the end of it is the opportunity to transform these large enterprises and how they operate and how to close those execution gaps between their frontline and the back office, but then also close the loop with their assets itself, which is generating tremendous amount of telemetry data, IoT data. And it's telling us to do something. It's asking humans to go do something. And those humans are actually in the front line. And those, the execution of what those humans go execute, be it an operator, be it a maintenance tech, be it a storeroom personnel, how that information then flows back nicely to a system of record to close the loop between your back office, information coming from your assets through IoT, and then how the frontline workers execute that work is kind of how we close the loop between the three entities. And is connected worker a, a phrase that you coined? No, actually, a connected worker is a phrase that I think the industry uses in general. But I think the definition of a connected worker, you know, every founder defines it differently. So it's a fairly nascent category by itself, where I think the market is evolving and trying to figure out how to connect these frontline workers to be highly productive. You know, how do we upskill them really quick? And how do you convert a disconnected worker to a connected worker is really what the ultimate goal of the software category is. And when you look at the definitions of the analysts or maybe different founders, you know, one would talk about like, how do you upskill a worker relatively quick to handle this problem of labor shortages? Then you talk to another founder, they would talk about like, how do you connect them to a back office system? From our perspective, a connected workforce is what we should be thinking about, not a connected worker. When you think about a connected workforce, you need to think about the people serving in the plant, which are the operators, the people in maintenance, and the storerooms. And then we got to figure out how to not only improve the productivity of all of these workers so that you can do more with less to tackle the labor shortages we are seeing in the industry, but then how do you also upskill these workers? Because mostly the digital natives are walking into the workforce and uh, the tribal knowledge that the baby boomers have are walking out. So there are two big problems to tackle here is the productivity, do more with less so that you're not dependent on workforce that does not exist. And then the workers that you're bringing on, how do you upskill them? So, you know, we'd like to think about handling both those problems and calling it the connected workforce solution versus just a solution such as work instructions out of the box that is allowing you to, you know, upskill the worker. We don't see that as a connected worker because that's only solving one piece of the puzzle. So long-term then, is that category going to be connected workforce or what do you think your category is going to be called and how is it going to be defined, let's say three years from now? I think we're already seeing analysts talk about connected worker versus connected workforce. There are research firms like LNS Research that is going deep into this category, if, you know, evaluating companies like Innovaptim and others and looking at the different workflows or the problems that they're solving. In our case, we're actually solving the problems to actually close the loop between people in the frontline assets and the back office, while we're also making sure that we're able to give them the necessary instructions, trainings, et cetera, to upskill them. 
So I think the category in general is waiting for a market leader to lead it and define it so that everyone can then follow suit on it. So I think it's a fairly nascent category. It's called Connected Worker today, but I believe it'll evolve into the Connected Workforce solution. Then you're going to have a flood of people that are going to tap into this opportunity because almost 80% of the world's working population are deskless workers. And only 1% of venture funds go to those deskless workers today. And I think all venture funds and private equity have taken notice of this, of the great opportunity and the opportunity of our founders like us and myself to go actually transform this massive white space of an underserved community of frontline workers. Are you working with analyst firms currently to try to shape that narrative and, and shape that category? Yes, we are. We're actually working very closely with LNS Research. So there was a recent report published by them on solution selection matrix for connected frontline worker applications. And Innovaptive was ranked number two on potential, specifically because of our much broader vision of how we want to handle productivity challenges that ultimately leads to improved uptime and you know revenue realization for customers, but then also handle the talent and skills challenges as well together. It's a broad and a bold vision that we have. And I think LNS Research and other analysts are taking note of that, especially with the growth rates that the company has experienced in the last few years, with the evidence that, you know, marquee private equity firms like Tiger Global Management and Vista Equity are putting their money behind our vision as well. Can you give us an idea of the growth that you're seeing right now? Yeah, we have been consistently growing 70 to 80% year over year for the last three years. This year, for example, our bookings would be, you know, 80% compared to last year. So it's very clear that the tailwinds of these labor shortages, the need to actually transform the frontline experience, the need to actually bring, you know, younger workers who are typically digital natives is kind of helping all of us out, all the founders that have built solutions and platforms around connected workers. But I would like to think of Innovaptive as being a more end-to-end platform with an integrated suite of apps, tackling operators, maintenance, and storerooms, while some of our alternatives are focused on specific user personas and specific point solutions, like solving uh, skill challenges. So I think that's probably the reason why we are growing at the rate which we are growing right now. How have you seen your messaging and positioning evolve over the last couple of years? Have there been any major changes? Major changes for sure. I think what's resonated with the market and what I'm hearing from our customers is they have to deal with so many different point solutions and best of breed solutions and trying to integrate all of them to actually deliver a true connected workforce experience, especially with a system of record like SAP, IBM Maximo, which are notoriously difficult to integrate with, has been uh, quite challenging. So the fact that we can actually take our platform and make it like a system of engagement or a frontline worker ERP on the top that closes out the gaps between a back office system like SAP, Maximo, as well as closing out all the execution gaps that they face in their day-to-day operations is the kind of messages that has resonated really, really well with our customers. And they typically like to start with maybe a, a point solution with maintenance or with the storerooms, knowing that they can actually broaden their vision, the digital vision of frontline workers with one provider and actually drive that entire end-to-end transformation with us has resonated really, really well with customers. And the success of some of these, you know, point implementations that we have done in the past has quickly taken notice where, 
you know, many of our latest customers that we are signing up with are actually buying into the vision of the end-to-end transformation. So we're more and more, we are seeing larger programs being signed up with large chemical companies, mining companies that want to implement in a phased approach, the end-to-end vision of bringing the frontline workers, back office and assets together. This show is brought to you by Frontlines Media, a podcast production studio that helps B2B founders launch, manage, and grow their own podcast. Now, if you're a founder, you may be thinking, I don't have time to host a podcast. I've got a company to build. Well, that's exactly what we built our service to do. You show up and host, and we handle literally everything else. To set up a call to discuss launching your own podcast, visit frontlines.io slash podcast. Now, back to today's episode. As I mentioned there in the intro, you've raised $42 million to date. What have you learned about fundraising throughout this journey? Difficult, <laughs> extremely difficult, especially in, in a space where just the investors and the venture capital markets and private equity markets have not really spent enough time to uh, research the space. So I think things have changed, I would say, since post-COVID. I see a lot of inflow of inbound requests from top VCs and private equity firms uh, hitting us up. And of course, our growth also, people have taken notice because most likely they're probably hearing from partners, they're hearing it from our customers, their common accounts that we are working with with our partners like Deloitte and Apple and so on. So I think the last two, three years, we have seen a lot more inbound interest in this space, the connected frontline worker space. But historically, if you look at some of the studies, only 1% of the venture capital funds and private equity funds have gone to frontline worker applications. So it's been a underserved space for the longest times. But I think with all these macroeconomic trends of labor shortages, the challenges that customers are facing to improve growth profitability in almost all the industries we are serving right now, and then most importantly, losing talent and not being able to replace talent and retain them has made this an imperative and not a nice to have anymore. And as a result, I think the venture capital firms and the private equity firms are starting to look at companies that have first mover advantage in this space, and probably we are benefiting out of that. So one thing that I do want to call out is I think, you know, when Tiger Global first invested in Innovaptive in 2019, I think they were able to clearly see the vision of this space and what could be the possibilities in the next 10 years and the impact it can create. But we are seeing a lot more with Vista Equity getting into this space for the last two years researching it and then eventually lining up on like us being kind of the potential market leader and taking a bet with us. So fundraising is difficult, but I think when macroeconomic trends and your growth rates align well, you'll probably find it easier. And we are probably in that path to be able to choose investors, which was difficult in the past, I would say. Yeah, that's the dream position to be in, I think, or all founders want to be in that position. (laughs) Yeah, I think your growth rates and all things have to come together. It's not just the growth rates come because of macroeconomic trends, technology trends, how you have integrated some of that, first mover advantage. So the timing is everything, I would say. And we're probably in a good spot where we continue to grow the same way we are and uh, we're able to attract some you know, world-class investors to believe in our vision. Let's imagine that you were starting again today from scratch. Based on everything you've learned, what would be the number one piece of advice you'd give yourself? Yeah, I think I'm a sales first founder. That's how I managed to bootstrap the company for seven years from 2012 to uh, 2019. But if I would do this all over again, I think I would raise some money earlier on, not bootstrap myself for seven years. Even though I may have to give up some equity, I would have been able to assemble a lot more talented people in different 
parts of the business, especially with the experience. A first-time founder handling big money is usually hard. But with the experience I have, if I have to start it all over again, I would raise the money and make sure that I have A-plus talent, especially in um, architecture, product management, to ensure we build the product for scale right from day one. And not that we didn't do that well in the past, but we could have done many things differently, quite frankly, uh, versus pivoting and refactoring some of the stuff we have done in recent times. So I would do that. And I would also bet hard on focusing continuously on your demand generation capabilities, which means we traditionally have not done much outbound. Everything that we have grown is mostly through outbound. And uh, if I were to do it all over again, these are the two things. I think demand gen and the um, investments on A-plus talent with the money that we can secure is something that would accelerate our growth much faster. So yeah, I think those are the two things I would think about. One thing that I've learned from my conversations with other founders is they say that a lot of their success can be attributed to or traced back to a few very key, very important decisions. There's a really big, important decision come to mind that you had to make. It was kind of a, like a critical crossroad and you had to choose, you know, go this way or go this way and, and you ended up choosing the right way. Yeah, I think for us, uh, taking a big bet on our no-code, low-code platform to develop that right from the early days, which was back in 2014 and 15, and betting that that would be our single big differentiator to build upon like use cases for the frontline worker was the right strategy for us. And I think until then, we struggled to actually get the applications at scale to multiple customers and then implement it consistently across multiple customers because every every implementation had to be a little customized and whatnot, then it becomes hard to manage that cohort of customers. So when we took the bet on the no-code platform, we went from like, you know, doing customizations for customers to actually configuring all our applications. And that was a very big win. And that was a pivot we made in 2015. So if you look at our growth record, since that pivot, we actually saw a company take off really fast because we clearly came out as a unique differentiated platform that can be personalized to every single customer yet not be customized. And that allowed us to uh, go out and implement different workflows, different uh, capabilities for customers uh, in their unique situation by site, by geography, by a role, and personalize it to their, their specific use cases, which was a pivotal moment, I would say. The second thing I think that comes to my mind is like, you know, not getting bogged down by larger players or like, you know, people that may have like a point application, but are like, you know, massive companies, but just believing in your vision. If you have a vision that you can truly transform something and you can do it much better than even a larger player, you should continue to pursue it hard and be relentless at it. So one of the things that I take pride in in our company and our company's culture is our grit and our ability to take on even large brands and actually, um, prove to them that what happens when you can actually assemble a team of people that wake up every day singularly focused on that without any distractions can do a far better job than any large brand name, brand name sometimes. Final question for you. Let's zoom out three to five years into the future. What's the big picture vision here? Yeah, I think the big picture vision for us as a company is we want to definitely be the market leader and define the category itself. And how we do that is obviously through the continued growth and sales. And that's a reflection of how much value you're adding to the market. So God knows where life will take us in the next three to five years. But one thing is for sure, we want to continue to grow at the same rate. And if that leads into an IPO or it could be a merger acquisition, we will still be 
as passionate as we were on day one to actually transform the working lives of frontline workers. And that's measured through the success we see on our on our sales bookings, our PNL numbers. And then I think, you know, it's very interesting with the new technology trends like generative AI, we are finding tremendous opportunities to transform these frontline workers' lives further. So you would see a lot more AI and generative AI and ML use cases in our platform that will continue to do exactly what our vision is, which is becoming the market leader, uh, category leader, and defining the category and do it very differently than anyone else. Amazing. I love the vision. I really love this conversation. We are up on time, so we'll need to wrap here. Before we do, if there's any founders that are listening in and they just want to follow along with your company building journey, where should they go? Yeah, I think you can certainly follow me on my LinkedIn, you know, where you usually post a lot of updates uh, on the progress we are making there. So you can find me on LinkedIn, Sandeep Ravande. And then, of course, our website is always pushing out information. And also follow our company page, you know, Innovaptum, and uh, you'll be able to get the latest updates on how we're making progress towards becoming a category leader here. Amazing. I love it. All right, Sandeep, thank you so much for taking the time to chat. Yeah, thanks, Brad. And thank you for having me on the show. Not a problem. Keep in touch. This episode of Category Visionaries is brought to you by Frontlines Media, Silicon Valley's leading podcast production studio. If you're a B2B founder looking for help launching and growing your own podcast, visit frontlines.io slash podcast. And for the latest episode, search for Category Visionaries on your podcast platform of choice. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode.